Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You joined us for the episode of Hope for Hard Times, episode 24, entitled Watching for Christ's Return. It's the episode for Sunday, December 17, 2023. 2 Peter chapter 3 is a key prophetic chapter in understanding eschatology. Now, don't let that word throw you. It's just a $50 word, meaning the study of last things. Well, it's a lot like when Napoleon Bonaparte discovered the Rosetta Stone in Egypt. The Rosetta Stone enabled mankind to decipher the mystery of Egyptian hieroglyphics. Second Peter chapter 3 is a lot like that in understanding Bible prophecy. It is a code breaker, much like the Enigma machine used by the Allied forces in World War II to crack the Nazi code. And we can think of other chapters such as Genesis 3, Daniel 9, Zechariah 12, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, along with 2 Peter chapter 3, are also key chapters in understanding the Bible study of the last days. Now, 2 Peter chapter 3, by the way, is written to strengthen Christians in rejecting religious scoffers who mock the return of Christ. I've given up on trying to turn around people <laughs> sometimes, and it's interesting to me that 2 Peter chapter 3 doesn't spend a lot of time talking about how to turn these people around, but he strengthens Christians who have to listen to it and deal with it so that they can just keep on keeping on and watching for Christ's return. You know, an interesting thing, I don't want to make a real point about this. The biggest attacks today that true Christians face concerning watching for the return of Christ, it comes from people who say they are Christians and who are trapped in the Augustinian hermeneutic approach where everything that's meant literally seems to be turned into something allegorical or spiritualized, but this system of approaching Scripture developed by Augustine is a real problem. Augustine sought to unify biblical Christianity with pagan philosophy. He tried to mesh the two. And you know what the result is? The result is that the Scriptures ended up being interpreted spiritually, allegorically, and not grammatically and literally. And now, for many people who probably are Christians, when they read the Bible, the plain sense makes no sense. And that's never been the intention of God in giving us His Word. He wants us to understand His Word. But if I have to interpret everything spiritually and allegorically, oh, I know it says this, but it really means this. That's hard. Instead of just reading the Bible like we would any piece of 
writing or literature and taking it initially at its face value where the plain sense makes sense, I'm not going to seek some other sense. And by the way, that doesn't mean that when obviously a a parable or um, an illustration is given, that doesn't mean that we we are forced to interpret that literally. The literal grammatical hermeneutic or, or mode of interpreting Scripture takes into account the idea that there are parables and allegories and so on. But it doesn't dismiss the plain sense when it makes sense. <laughs> you know, by way of a podcast this very week, I heard about a mega church that warned its pastor and staff, now listen carefully, to not get into all that prophecy stuff or they would be fired immediately. That's shocking. That's completely shocking. But it fits right in with the flow of the last days just before the return of Christ. That's how things are predicted to be, and we can even see that creeping into churches. Now, some of those trapped in that Augustinian system of allegorizing and spiritualizing everything are the most, some of them are the most relentless in their rejection of prophecy, and some of those are especially gleeful in deriding people like you and like me who believe the Bible and who have a correct literal grammatical hermeneutic or or uh, that's just a big word. We're talking about the science of interpretation. You know, we interpret everything. We we even interpret a a business contract. There's there's no big mystery to to this. When you read a contract, it says what it says, right? That's how we approach Scripture. If the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. But many of these people who who reject prophecy and they reject the return of Christ and they mock the rapture of the church, for example, they just they really try to rub our noses in that. Now, you probably heard, by the way, some of these teachers and people on uh, uh, YouTube channels and, and other platforms, for example, try to tell you that the, the rapture doctrine didn't exist until some guy named John Darby invented it uh, like forget the exact day, but sometime in the 1830s, that the rapture didn't, you know, I'm just here to tell you that the rapture didn't start with John Darby. It started with John 14. Go read John 14. And in the first six verses, the Lord Jesus Christ is clearly talking about the rapture, not the second coming. And I think we've even talked about that a little bit in this very series. Um, You know, here's the thing. If If the grammatical, literal approach to Scripture, when the plain sense makes sense, we seek no other sense, 
You know, we deal with what it says and we don't spiritualize it and allegorize it. You know, when, when we're doing that, it's amazing what an incredible coincidence that is that the things predicted in the Bible to happen in the last days are happening, or at least the trend is they're starting to happen right in front of our own eyes with great specificity and with increasing speed, like it's forming a a vortex, a little hurricane of imminence and convergence of all these things. Think of it like the birth pains of a woman who is going to to deliver a child. At first, okay, got a little pain, then it's a little more. Time passes, it's getting intense, and pretty much as you find that doctor, you know, <laughs> that's almost a direct quote. And <laughs> so this is this is what we're seeing, the things that that we've been predicting from the Bible to happen in the future. It's starting to happen. And if it isn't if it isn't from the Bible, then what an amazing coincidence. It's from the Bible, people. <laughs> Paul talked about the rapture of the church. The apostle John talked about the rapture of the church. And um, it, it's, it's all there in Scripture. The return of Christ and what we normally call the second coming. Things like the tribulation, that seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel talked about that. It's all there. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ told us, though, that as believers in him in this world, this world system that we're in right now, that, that we will suffer tribulation. That's like with a small t. That is, we will all go through trouble and suffering because of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's normal. And there's no Christian that should say, oh, I will never go through tribulation like with a small t. Normal uh, problems that we face in this life, at, at school, on the job, sometimes in our families, because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and we love his work. And it can even get worse, as we've talked about. I mean, First Peter was telling believers how to put up even with physical suffering, even losing their possessions because of their faith in Christ. So we all agree that's definitely going to happen to Christians to one degree or another. That's not the same as saying that Christians, the church, goes through the tribulation period, capital T, because we don't. And that's the promise of God's word. And we've talked about that many times. And you, you can listen to um, other series that I have on This Week in the Word and even a, a few standalone messages so that you can get up to speed on all of that. But you know what? Things are happening all around us so much that even Ray Charles could see it. <laughs> I, I like that phrase. I love Ray Charles. I couldn't carry his piano, piano bench, right? But, but you know, it's just that, like, then you'd have to be hopelessly without any sense not to see 
what's happening around us. And it's sort of like, it's sort of like we see, um, I think we saw stuff like this on on the Andy Griffith show, you know, about Mayor Mary, maybe sometimes Barney Five is saying, move along, folks, nothing to, nothing to see here, keep it moving. <laughs> There's plenty to see here, and you'd have to be completely blind not to see what's happening around us. I'll give you one major example. I mean, this is, this is undeniable. In the Bible, it's predicted in the last days there will be a global government and it will be an oppressive global government that controls the world. Well, you know, you must have your fingers in your ears, your hands over your eyes, and just be completely out of touch not to know that the elites of the world would give their firstborn to establish a global government over the entire world to tell everyone what they think we should do. Now, what they don't know is they're, they're bringing all of this about, but they're not going to be the ones who end up running it. Shakaroo, there's going to be one ultimate human leader that will run that, and we often call him the Antichrist. He's called the Beast. And, you know, th this is undeniable in the Bible, and yet people say, oh, well, you know, yeah, well, that's, uh, that's spiritual, and that's allegorical, and this means, hey, open your eyes. Don't be a dimwit your entire life. Look around and make your own judgment. Don't depend on other people in the media and all of that to help you see, like, nothing going on here, folks. Just keep moving. Open your eyes. Now, many of you see it, but if you haven't seen it yet, come on, man, even Ray Charles could see that. And, and another thing, a major takeaway concerning Bible prophecy when you you learn it and you believe it and you begin to understand it Listen carefully, a major effect of Bible prophecy is its corrective nature. That is, it makes me improve how I'm living daily for the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm expecting his return. I'm looking forward to that. I want to be about what he wants me to be about every day when he comes. So we, we begin to live up to our Christian calling the more we understand and believe in what is predicted in the Bible about the future. Now, you can see that, and we're going to read these verses in a moment, but you can see that in 2 Peter 3, in verse 11, verse 14, verse 17, and verse 18. And I'll show you that in just a minute or two. Now, another thing is when so-called pastors and so-called churches dismiss Bible prophecy, like uh, unhitched from the Old Testament and all of that kind of stuff, I've got to tell you that if, if, you, if you dismiss Bible prophecy, you are dismissing fully one third of the entire Bible. Did you know that? I never realized that, Pastor Ed. Well, that's a fact. Fully one third of the entire Bible is prophecy 
about the birth of Jesus, which of course that's happened, and the return of Jesus. And you can bet your last dollar on this, my friend, because we, the birth of Jesus came about exactly as predicted. You can be certain the return of Christ will occur exactly as predicted. Amen. All right, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read through the entire chapter, which is not that long, but I fully intend at this point to only deal in detail with some of it today because this is such an important chapter in a better understanding of Bible prophecy. I'm going to take at least another episode, maybe more than another episode, to really uh, camp on this chapter for a week or two or three because there's things here we must get and know in order to understand Bible prophecy, have our Christian life taken to a new level, and be watching and waiting for Christ's return. All right, 2 Peter 3, verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And then let's go to verse three. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, in a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for 
and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we've just read the entire chapter of 1 Peter 3. And now let's go back and we'll begin to deal with a few verses at a time and then we'll continue with that in the next episode of this week in the Word, Hope for Our Times. All right, so let's go back to 1 Peter chapter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3. Now we know, as we pointed out already in this series, that Peter wrote to the same group of believers. He wrote 1 Peter, guess how he wrote it? He wrote it first. (laughs) You can only get insight like that here. And then he wrote a second epistle. Well, how do we know that, Pastor? Because he says it right here. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both, so he's mentioning the first one and the second one here, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. That word pure, what a great word. It means cleanse like it's been left out in the sunshine and the ultraviolet rays of the sunshine have completely cleaned it up. These were people who formerly did not know the Lord and they were dying in sin, but now They've been saved, and now they have pure minds. So he says, I, I wrote both letters with the goal of, of uh, like, like a, a, a rousing someone from a slumber, like, wake up. So he's trying to wake them up um, and wake up their, their understanding so that they remember some things they already know, but it's sort of like they're forgetting and they need to remember. We all need that, by the way. Verse two, he, he's doing this for a purpose, that ye may be mindful of the words 
which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Now let's just stop right there. Today, a well-known mega pastor in recent times has told his congregations, because I think he has about 30 of them, with a network of churches and video and all that. And I have my own problems with that approach, which many people are following. But anyway, to the, it's time for Christians to unhitch from the Old Testament. Well, I'm going to tell you what. If you unhitch from the Old Testament, you will not know what is going on in the world around you now, and you will be disobedient to God's instruction to, to know what the prophet said in the Old Testament. And we saw him say that right here. So you will be ignorant of what's going on around you. Like, what's going on? And a lot of people today, even who claim to be Christians, are just clueless about what's going on in the world today because they, they do not know what the holy prophets in the Old Testament predicted for the future of the world. And I don't know it all, but I know a little bit. And what I know, I'm paying attention to, and I'm trying to learn more. And I've been studying this uh, about 45 years. So I, di I didn't come to this like, you know, two months ago. I I've been a student of Bible prophecy almost as long as I've been alive. Not quite, but getting close. So if you unhitch from the Old Testament, you won't know what the prophets have been inspired by God to tell us about the world we live in and where it's going and what's going to happen in the future. You will be clueless as the world falls apart around you. What's happening? What's going on? You're like that if that describes you, either because you're not even a Christian or Perhaps you're born again, but you are, you are, you know, because of maybe the pastors you've had or not had, you have been carefully not taught about what the Old Testament prophets have said. And you are disobedient to what you're told to do right here, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And where do we find that? You guessed it, in the Old Testament. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Where do we find that? We find that in the New Testament. You've got to know your Bible, people, if you want to understand the world you live in now and where the world's going. So, so we know that the predictions about the prophetic future are given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself because we, we just read that. And of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. So Jesus inspired the apostles like Peter, James, and John and so on. He inspired them to, to share his message and write it down, like the Apostle Paul, for example, Peter. So we have the prophetic truth from the Old Testament 
and we have it from the New Testament. The Lord himself, obviously, for example, Matthew 24, he talked about the prophetic future in great detail, immense detail. Go read it. And um, the apostles followed suit as he inspired them in writing the New Testament. But if you unhitch from the Old Testament and you never read your New Testament, you're not going to know what's going on in the world around you. And you will be disobedient to what you're told to do right here in 2 Peter 3, verse 2. Now, I want to refer you by YouTube to Google Ken Johnson and Lee Brainerd. I can't remember... Uh, Lee Brainerd's channel is uh, Sooth Keep, which means Truth Keeper. And I can't remember Ken Johnson's channel. But anyway, both of these guys are true scholars. Absolutely true scholars. And they deal in ancient languages. It's fascinating. But Ken Johnson and Lee Brainerd will teach you a lot. Listen, listen carefully. The Old Testament prophets taught, Jesus taught, the apostles taught, and the early church fathers taught. Listen, a pre-tribulation rapture, a seven-year tribulation, capital T, a literal end-time ruler called the Antichrist, a physical return of Christ to the Mount of Olives to literally rule on the throne of David from Jerusalem over a thousand-year earthly kingdom. <laughs> Let me read that again. The Old Testament prophets, Jesus the apostles, and the early church fathers. Now, you may know all the I just said before, but who are the church fathers? Listen carefully. These are the direct disciples of the apostles. So the apostles were with the Lord in his three-year earthly ministry. They were inspired to, to write the New Testament, and they also taught the, the next gen, let's say, of church leaders that when, when they were martyred or they died, that there would be church leadership to carry on the gospel. So that's who the early church fathers are, okay? And the Old Testament prophets, Jesus, the apostles, and the early church fathers taught a pre-trib rapture, a seven-year tribulation, a literal antichrist, a phys physical return of Christ to the Mount of Olives to literally rule on the throne of David from Jerusalem over a thousand-year earthly kingdom. What I just told you is a fact, and you've probably never been told that. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are only recently being interpreted, and you know what? You know what view they back up? I'm about to wreck the worldview of you people who have spiritualized and allegorized Scripture. And maybe even pastors are listening, and you have a chance to repent right here. 
or if your pastor has led you down the wrong path, maybe even ignorantly or unintentionally, both of y'all have a chance to get it right. What is mocked today about a pre-trib rapture, a seven-year tribulation period, an antichrist, a physical return of Christ to the Mount of Olives to literally rule on the throne of David from Jerusalem over a thousand-year earthly kingdom, that's exactly what the prophets teach. That's exactly what Jesus taught. That's exactly what the apostles taught, inspired by Jesus and taught by Jesus. And that's exactly what the early church fathers taught. My view is backed up with over 2,000 years, 2,000 years back. What I'm telling you is what the first Christians believed. And I just wrecked the worldview of some of my listeners. Everyone who believes that, that the church replaced Israel. No, it didn't. The church is one new man made of Jew and Gentile. But God will ultimately fulfill his promises to Israel to the letter or he would be a liar. And God is not a liar. God will absolutely fulfill every single promise he made to Israel. So now I'm going to let you cool off if you don't understand what I said or you disagree. Well, you'll get over it. But uh, if you take my view, you will have the historic view of the early church until it got sidetracked. And I'm going to tell you how that happened. Now, uh, so let, let's read 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2 and verse 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now let's stop right there. Verse three, knowing this first. So the, the word here, proton, means, uh, you know, Know this above all things of first importance. Make a note of this. So this, what's go, we're going to be told in verse three is critical that you understand this. How do I know that? That's what it says. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. The word scoffers is the Greek word Empi, excuse me, let me re-say that. Empectes, and this word means a mocker, a derider, a scoffer. Now, does that sound to you like somebody that you should follow spiritually? No, it doesn't. A true pastor of God who understands the word of God as God intended and gave it will not have a scoffing, deriding, mocking attitude toward Bible prophecy. Do you know why? 
because the prophets in the Old Testament did not. The Lord Jesus Christ certainly did not. The apostles did not. And their disciples, the early church fathers, did not. They understood the seriousness of where this world is heading. And if, if you are in a church setting where your spiritual leadership is clueless about the days in which we live and where we're heading, you need, under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, to find a church which takes the Bible seriously. Now, I, I'm kind of going to stop there at verse 3, and we read verse 4, so they mock about, oh yeah, well, everything's like it's always been. And when we get to the next episode, I'm going to show you why they are so dead wrong. But I want to answer a question for you so that, so that you understand how things got derailed so badly. All right, so here we go. I've explained this before, but I'm going to explain it one more time. In about the first 300 years of church history, the, the correct, proper teaching and interpretation of Scripture of the Old Testament, the New Testament, was intact. Now, were there heretics from time to time that had to be dealt with? Oh, yeah. You think Satan would let the church go unchallenged? Of course not. He's going to attack it. But you know what? The, the church in the early days, let's say, I'm in, and I'm just speaking roughly, up through about 300 AD, had the truth and taught the truth. And they were pretty much agreed on the truth. And that's why they could deal with heretics and brand them as false teachers. But what happened is, there was a, a great historical figure named Augustine or um, Augustine. Some people, you pronounce it either way. I really don't care. And he was in love with Greek philosophy. And he felt, and he was, I think he was making a sincere effort. But he felt that the, the truth of Scripture and what he regarded as the truth of Greek philosophy could be married that they could be unified in a unified system of dealing with the world and philosophy and scripture. Oh man, total train wreck. Now, does that mean that everything in the theology of Augustine is wrong? No, but I'll tell you what, when you say that God no longer is intending to fulfill his word, to the people of Israel, that's where you're on the slippery slope because now you spiritualize the plain sense of Scripture. And you said, okay, now, every time you see Israel, just assert church here. I'm pretty sure that if the Lord wants to say church, he could say it. And if he wants to say Israel, he can say it. This is where things got off track. And the Bible began to be approached allegorically, the literal meaning, the grammatical meaning of the obvious sense was turned into something 
else other than what it clearly said. And it's sort of like being adrift in the middle of the Pacific Ocean with no compass on a cloudy night, no map, and no landmarks in sight. You're just lost. That's where the church has gotten to. That's how that happened. The way out of the woods is to go back to what the way the prophets approach the, the Lord's word, the way the Lord Jesus Christ approached it, the way his apostles approached it, and the early church fathers approached it. When, the, when scripture makes sense, seek no other sense. And again, it doesn't mean that when there's obviously a, a parable or an allegory, like Paul uses an allegory in the book of Galatians, you can go read it. That's clearly what it is. But um, that's how we got off track. And I'm going to give you a great example, one, just one example. In Isaiah chapter 17, Isaiah wrote about 700 BC, something like that. He predicted in Isaiah 17 verses 1 and 2 that the city of Damascus, as the capital of Syria and the enemy of God's people, would one day be totally and completely and foreveringly destroyed. Now, let me give you an example of using that Isaiah 17 verses 1 and 2. Most Christians, because of their bad theology, would approach that and say, oh, well, that's, that's already been fulfilled. Uh, God did that, and yeah, God dealt with Damascus and blah, blah, blah. There's just one problem with that. It said that it would be destroyed and it would never be a city again. Now, if you check your daily news today, Damascus still exists. In fact, Damascus is believed to be the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. And it's going into 2,500 years of continuous habitation. So now you've got a problem. You've either got to say, well, this hasn't been fulfilled yet, and it still will be, or, oh, well, God didn't really mean that. What he meant was, blah, 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 and so, yeah, it's been fulfilled. No, it hasn't. <laughs> and even people who believe prophecy correctly are, are not sure exactly when and how this is going to occur. But unfortunately, there will come a day when God literally fulfills his word regarding the city of Damascus. Now, I've been evangelizing through the podcast to Damascus. I don't say this lightly, but there could come, there, there will eventually come a day when people wake up and Damascus is no longer a city and never will be inhabited again, ever. Say, Pastor Ed, I don't know about that. Okay, that's okay with me if you don't know about it, but that's what it says, and that's what God is going to do. Now, again, the way people in the Augustinian theology, which, which is how most churches are based today, every major denomination with few exceptions, uh, like Southern Baptists are accepted and others, 
But every major Christian denomination, most of them, let's say, the vast majority, look at Scripture like Augustine said to. It's wrong. It's, it's not what the Old Testament prophets did. It's not what Jesus did. It's not what the apostles did, nor their direct disciples, the early church fathers. Do <laughs> you see what we're saying here? So that's a, that's a great example of that. All right. I've got to stop somewhere, so this is a great place to stop. And I'll be back with episode 25 of this week in the Word, Hope for Our Times, or Hope for... Man, I'm getting myself all mixed up here. What is, what is the name? Hope for Hard Times. All right, I'll be back the next time with episode 25. Now... For those of you who would like to know more about how to become a Christian, or you're not sure you're a Christian, or you just have spiritual questions about your status with the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a phone number. I'm going to say it twice. Call that ministry and a counselor will help you. 888-388-2683. One more time. 888-388-2683. 2683. Call that number and get the help that you need. I'd like to invite you to like this episode, follow the podcast if you've never done so, and I want you to do one more thing and help me and those you care about. Share this episode with people that you want to hear this episode. Reach out to them and God will bless you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with the next episode. Bye-bye.